Me in Luke chapter 10 today. We are progressing out of Luke 9. We're making headway. I know you'll be glad to, to see that, to realize that. Uh, but I think it's really timely. I, mean, I could not have planned this any better to be preaching this passage on this particular day. Uh, if, I mean, I'm not a planner, so I'm thankful that God has taken care of this for me. Uh, just the reality of it. So, so I, I think it's timely in part because of what we just did at the beginning of the opening of the service, commissioning a team to go to Africa. We have this team that has been committing time and effort and energy and memorizing gospel stories and, and been meeting weekly for several months and setting aside money and taking planning to take vacation all as an act of worship in order to go to Senegal and to lead people to worship, a people that would have no other opportunity. And the reality is, is this, is that over these last several years as we've done this work, we've seen a church planted in a place that had God not sent us, there would be no believers, there would be no church. In fact, in one of these villages, we are working diligently, I mentioned it just a uh, a little while ago, we were working diligently to see pastors raised up and see this church established with leadership within that church. And so God has moved and God has worked. And we now get to take time to recognize a team that's worshiping and leading others to worship this great God who has saved us. But in addition to that, as we just as we did last week, we are standing at the precipice, at the, at the edge of a year that stands out in front of us, and we are still making plans and making goals. And for many people, I, I didn't start this week asking how many people had broken their New Year's resolutions, because probably a lot of you that made resolutions have already slipped and fallen a couple times. You know, I, I already missed a day of my Bible reading, had to make it up, because I resolved to read it, and then already missed a day. I'm like, oh man, here we go, already a weekend, and I'm not fulfilling that resolution. But the reality is, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to strive. I'm going to continue to work towards that and continue to, to read along through the Bible uh, as, as, as diligently as I can. But I didn't start there because the reality is, is that we all have these issues, these resolutions that we make, and then we fail. Well, I, I, it's important. It's actually vital for believers that we continue to be reminded that, that, these, that these resolutions that we can make, these average everyday resolutions that people make every year, and maybe some of you have made, resolutions to, to, to lose weight or eat better or to exercise more, average everyday resolutions to spend time with family more often and to, to work a little less so that you can focus more on family. All of these resolutions, anybody can make them. But only the people of God can resolve to do the things that God has called us to do. And every year we seek to be reminded of that. I seek to remind you of it and call you to it. As you plan and make goals and set resolutions for the year and look out on the year, I, I call you. I spend a sermon or two every year calling you to live the vision and mission of this church, to be a people because of the gospel, to be a people so committed to a life of worship that you lead others to worship, to worship God by leading others to see his glory and turn and worship him. And that's what we're doing in Africa, but that's not the only time we're doing it. The reality is it's happening every week here. It happens in, in every Sunday morning. I don't know if you know this, but, but in particular, there's, there's, there's a team, and it, it begins working before anybody else begins working on Sunday morning. There's, in particular, there's one, one, one man that raises every Sunday morning at 5 o'clock to pray for what's happening right now. That was a blessing to me. What a way to serve and to facilitate the, the, the preaching of the gospel. The mission of the church. But it's not just this man, man praying. And if you want to be a part of that team, that, that mission team that prays for this church, there's ways that you can do that. Pray, praying all week long, every day, day in, day out. Committing to be a, a, a people who pray and seek God. I, ask me. Talk to Matt. And we, we're in the process of raising up a leader to lead that ministry right now. Talk to us and we'll help you plug into that. But it's not just the people praying that are facilitating the work of the gospel, the, the mission, that, that we, the, the people standing at the door. When people walk in and there's a smiling face, a warm embrace, someone to, to greet them and make them feel welcome. Those, that hospitality team is vital for the proclamation and the mission that we are here to do. The, the donuts for crying out loud. Now, I'm not going to rant to you about the donuts like I did the first service, but the donuts for crying out loud. They're not about serving breakfast. They're about giving us an opportunity to put something in our mouth between, in the midst of conversation. Not so we can spit crumbs at one another. Not so we can be messy and be talking with our mouth open. But because something happens when we're eating and drinking coffee and visiting, it makes, just makes it easier. 
And so we put these things out to just facilitate the hospitality and trying to break down barriers so that people can hear the message of the gospel so that we can serve one another with the mercy of Christ. And as has been highlighted already in the, in the announcement time, kids' way, for crying out loud, kids' way. We don't send our kids away. I, don't, I didn't establish kids' way in this process when we planted this church. I didn't want to see that happen because I wanted to see kids out of the service so that we could have some time alone. I want your kids to grow up hearing the gospel. I want them to know about the Jesus that loved them enough to come and put on flesh and dwell among us and die in our place for our sins. And the reality is that I say this, and I don't mean to, I'm not intending to place guilt, but I want you to see and hear just how serious this is. It's a sad thing that this ministry, it's not just in this church, it's in churches all over the place, that kids' ministries are always pleading for help. They're always short-staffed because people see that as some lesser thing. This is not something the church does for its people. This is something the church does together to ensure the children, the offspring. The, we're a family with children. And it's our responsibility together to stand and feed them and give them the gospel message so that they can grow up in it and learn to love Jesus and can turn around and hand it off to their children. And we are a people, we are a people striving to be marked by our lives of worship that lead others to worship. In fact, the reality is, is that this is a pattern that's been established all the way through Scripture. We saw the first half of that really being established last week as we looked at Jesus talking, uh, Jesus resolving himself, making a resolution of his own that this is the time to go to Jerusalem. He had been working in, in, in uh, Galilee with the Gentiles, not the Gentiles, he's working in Galilee, the northern part of, Jeru uh, of Israel. And he had been there for some time, and it came time for him to go to Jerusalem to face his death, to, to be res resurrected, and to ascend back to heaven. It's time for him to do that, and he resolves to do it. Nothing is going to get in his way. And uh, as he was going, he calls people to follow him. And over and over, we saw him rejected. We saw people come up with excuses. We saw people prioritize other other aspects of their life over the worship, over following, over fully devoting themselves to the, to the life that Christ had called them to. And this week, as we study in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, we're actually going to see a people who actually accomplish it, who actually strive for it. And so last week, as we talked, we talked about priorities that prevent us from following Christ. Today, as we work through this passage, I want us to think about priorities of the mission. Like, what does it look like? And so, I don't want to be theoretical. I don't want to be up in the clouds. I want to be exceedingly practical. So that as you resolve to live your life in 2017, that you know what, no practical ways that you can step into fulfilling the mission that Jesus has left with us. And so, we're going to read it. We're going to walk through it. And we're going to talk about it. So if you would, just follow along as I read. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 16. I'll point out a couple of nuances along the way. After this, so we're going to stop right there. After this, so after this, this attaches us to the passage that just preceded it. After Jesus made his resolution to go to Jerusalem, after Jesus called people to follow him and they had other priorities, they, they, Jesus was like, follow me, and they were saying, I'll follow you, but... There was always a but. There's no room in the life of a Christian for a but. When Jesus says, do this, it's not, there's no room for us saying, I would, but, or I will, but. The expectation is for us to obey, to follow him, to do what he's called us to do. So after this, after this moment, after this time, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. I want you to see the pattern that's being established. We've already seen it back in, in, in Luke chapter 9. We already saw him. He had taken the 12 that he had called out from among the multitudes and said, okay, I want you to go. I want you to work in power and authority. I want you to go do this work. And now we see the pattern as it expands. We see Jesus expanding his work, expanding his mission, not just to these special 12 people, but to this, to this 72, to these people that, that we don't even know. He says to them, the harvest is plentiful, or I'm sorry, he, he says that, that 
go, to, go two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them. Now, let me point that out real quickly. I'm not going to hit this real hard in a minute. But, but these same 72 people who Jesus has just sent are about to be given the same power that the 12 were given. It's not like this power was special for the 12 and then nobody else got to, got to exercise this power. The reality is in this time, Jesus was giving his power and his authority to speak and to teach on his behalf. And so these same 72 people went out and they were healing sicknesses. They were likely casting out demons. He goes, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and for you, Capernaum. Just remember, Capernaum, the city, it was a place where Jesus did, I mean, it was the home base. It was where he launched his mission from. He was working around Capernaum and he would come back to Capernaum and rest at times. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And if I were to, again, summarize this point as I did last week and summarize this, this commissioning of Christ on his 72, I would summarize it in this way. The call to follow Jesus at all cost is always a precursor to his command to go at all cost to call others to follow him. We saw it after this, after Jesus had called people to follow him and those that did come and follow him are sent out by him. It's always a precursor for this. This is the pattern that we begin to see established. This is the pattern that he begins to work out and, and, and make function in and among his people. First it's the 12. He draws them in. He makes them disciples. He matures them as disciples and then he mobilizes them. He sends them away and he says, go in power and authority and preach the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel, if you will. That's the way Luke summarized it. And then we see it happen again. Just, just a few verses later, Jesus again, now not with the 12, but with the 72. And just a note on that, just in case you're reading a different translation than me. Some translations, like the NASB and the King James Version, I can't remember the others, they say 70. And the ESV, the, you know, the, the right one, it says 72. Just kidding. I was hoping you'd recognize that was a joke. The reality is that manuscripts say both. And so as translators have come to it, they, it, it could be 70, it could be 72, and there's reasons why some people say 72 and some people say 70. At the end of the day, we don't need to get caught up about the number. We recognize that this broadening, this broadening work of Christ is being given to more and more people and we see that pattern established to the point that even if you follow this on through the gospel, it comes to that point where he's crucified and resurrected and he's with his disciples. And he says, now you go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So what he does is he gives and commissions them to go and make disciples that 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 make disciples. And here we are 22,000 years later. In the 21st century, standing here, disciples, because somebody followed in that pattern to make disciples. And we are given the mission, the, same, the very same mission, to go and spread his word, to make disciples, mature those disciples, and mobilize them that his glory might be multiplied in the world. That's what he's doing. And we see it happening right here before our very eyes. Now, there are some clear distinctions that should be and can be made. First, the, the size of the group. 
obviously it's a bigger group of people. They're going to have a, a broader reach. More people are going to be uh, engaged because of the larger numbers of people. The truth is that he's still engaging in amazing ways all around the world. God is at work to make his glory known, to bring fame to his son, Jesus. And it is an amazing thing to watch what's happening in places all around the world because, of, because people are picking up this mission and walking in it. And so the, the size of the group is, is one distinction that could be made. Another distinction that could be made is that we don't know their names. The reality is, is the 12, we know them. They're listed a number of times in different places in the Gospels. We, we talk about Peter, James, John, Andrew. We talk about them. Doubting Thomas even has a place in Scripture that, that man, I don't know that that's what I'd want to be known for, but he has a place in Scripture. His name is remembered through all generations. And I think it's important for us to note this distinction because we live in a day and age of celebrity where we give people who are known, like if they're known by a lot of people, suddenly they, they're experts in stuff. Like you've seen the YouTube videos of celebrities telling us why we should or shouldn't vote for a per certain person. Like all of a sudden, because these people act in movies and they're known by a lot of people, they're all of a sudden they're political activists that have some authority on who we should or shouldn't vote for. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have a view and I'm not saying that they don't have a perspective, but what makes them experts? Because they make a lot of money and have a name that's recognized in many households? That's absolute silliness. But when we hear a name that we recognize, for whatever reason, we tend to, to, to allow, some, allow it to have some greater influence. The reality is, is this, that these people are unknown to us. And yet they were given God's power and his authority to teach in his name. What's beautiful and encouraging to me about that is that's you and me. That's every ordinary Christian that sits in this room. I don't have anybody calling me, likely will never have anybody calling me, asking them, asking me to come to their conference and teach on their platform. My name will likely never be known by hundreds and thousands of people who are downloading my podcast, but the reality is, is I get to preach the gospel to a people every week who are hearing and seeing Jesus made famous. And I'm satisfied with that. The reality is that there's people in this room whose influence and whose legacy may only be the people in their household. Maybe the children they raise or the spouse they're married to. But what an honor it is at any level to be allowed to affect the eternity of someone's life. This is a purpose and priority worthy of giving ourselves to regardless of how many people know our name, how many people retweet our tweets or like us on Facebook. Oh man, we don't need to be seeking to be famous. We need to be seeking to make the one who deserves fame famous. His name is Jesus. That's a distinction. Those distinctions, there's some similarities. The commissioning and sending is very similar to the way we see it happening with the 12 at the beginning of chapter 9. Jesus is, is, is encouraging them to go in faith, trusting God to provide. He's encouraging them to go right now with urgency, to preach the same message. The message didn't change just because the people changed. He's sending them with the same message. The kingdom of God is near, preaching the peace of the gospel that's to come. And they were to heal people, to do the same works, preach the same message, do the same work. That mission never changes, and it's the same mission that you and I have been given. Here we are, standing here 2,000 years later, the same mission that's been handed down to us. And the reality is, is that this mission, this mission as we look at 2017, and if we're going to strive to be a people who are devoted to following Christ in all things, to, to worship him with our whole life, to live worship so much that other people would turn and worship him, we have got to prioritize some things. We have got to determine some things right now. We have got to resolve to do the things that God has given us to do through his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you three priorities from this text that I think he, he intends for not just these people to follow, but that has been handed down through the generations. The reality is we need to be careful. We need to be careful because the, re the reality is it's not every one of these uh, statements that he makes. That this is, they are given to a particular people at a particular time in a particular circumstance. 
for example, these are people that are going out on a short-term mission. We see them leaving and we see them coming back to him. This is not a people who are planted in a place who are called to stay and work in the same place for long periods of time. <clears throat> this is a short-term mission trip that he is sending them to, 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 to accomplish. As he works his way towards Jerusalem, he's sending people ahead of him to make the, the places where he's going to go ready to see him, ready to meet him, ready to believe in him. And so there's specific things that apply to them, but there are principles which we can draw as a people who, who sometimes go on short-term mission trips, but who always live in this place. There are principles that we can apply, priorities that we can give ourselves to as we resolve to live this life, resolve to be this people facing this brand new year. I want to give you three. First, praying. Mission priority number one, I think, that we see in this passage is praying. Jesus commissions them, he sends them, and he opens this way. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. But how are we supposed to pray? Like just once in a while, you know, when, the, when you know, well, you know, somebody's praying, so I'll pray with them. No, no, no. He says pray earnestly. Pray earnestly with passion, with, 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 uh, with urgency, and with gusto, with, with, with a, a sense that it needs to happen, a desire and a longing for your prayer to be answered in the positive. To hear God say yes to this answer, what are we to pray for? For workers, for people to be called into his work, for more people to be raised up, for more people who worship by leading others to worship, by, for, by, to, to raise up people who train and disciple disciples who make disciples, to pray for people to join in the work because the work is big and the work is important. The, 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 the harvest is ready. The fields are white for it. But the laborers are few. Pray for the harvest. Pray for the harvesters to be brought in. And I just want to, I want to talk to you about how that kind of played out, how I see that played out over in this church last year. One of our big initiatives last year was to plant a church on the north side of Springfield, to send a group of people to plant a new church on the north side of Springfield <clears throat> in a neighborhood that, that partnered with all the other churches that we partner with and talking to them that, that we had identified as a place that needed the gospel incarnated in it, just living out loud the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's not a person that was involved in that to, to any degree, I think, that, that didn't, when it didn't happen, that didn't sense some sort of failure. Like, man, we didn't get it done. Well, the reality is this, is that we're not finished pressing for that. We may not have got it done in our timeline, but I can certainly tell you that if God has truly called us to it, there is nothing that's going to keep it from happening. We are continuing working toward that end. To plant churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. So that our legacy isn't growing a big church, but our legacy is a church that sends people to, to raise up people that send more people. That is our goal. That's our intention. And what I noticed and what I, I think maybe, maybe has, has, has we, we, we have learned in this is that I don't doubt that there are people that have prayed for this. I'm, I, I have prayed for this. But have we really been praying earnestly for workers to be raised up that we can send workers? See, here's what happened is one of the reasons that we weren't able to actually see it happen is as we were calling people to go and get ready to do this, the people that stepped up and said, I want to go and be a part of this church plant were leaders in this church, which is a great thing. Community group leaders, uh, uh, ministry leaders. Man, I, I love that. I'm glad we sent a healthy group of people to go plant a gospel work. That's so amazing. But what we noticed is that as those leaders were stepping up, we didn't have leaders behind them to do the work that needed to be done. And we were basically going to kill this work to start a work, and that's not multiplication, that's just relocation. And so we began to pray earnestly for workers. And yes, God has given us, a, we, we have seen some of our shortcomings, some, seen some of the ways that we weren't pouring into people to see people raised up and trained and made ready to go. And we now have a process by which we can make disciples, mature disciples, mobilize disciples to see multiplication across this city and across this region. And yes, we're just starting and we're getting it. Right now, it's like you get on the ground floor. But the beauty of it is this, as we do this work, we are praying diligently that God would raise up workers, that he would draw people in to the work that's happening right here.
so that his name would be made famous, so that our, our expression of worship in life would be joined by the worship of many others, many of whom are not worshiping him today. So what can you resolve to do about this? Pray. Pray daily. Pray earnestly for the workers that are sitting in this room that don't even know they're workers yet. They're being going to be called or being called to step out into the mission field, out into the field and begin to draw in the harvest. Pray for them because we need them. Pray for them because this is how God has determined that he is going to reach his people is through his people. So pray. I would plead with you. I would implore you to resolve to pray, not just pray for the workers to come, but pray for the work. You see it. This is a difficult, risky work. Pray earnestly for the workers to go out into the field, but I'm sending you as lambs into the midst of wolves. Pray for the work to actually be accomplished, to protect and provide for those who do this work. Pray for, pray for the leaders who are in the church now. Pray for the leaders who will be raised up. Pray for the workers that are going out every week without some title or some 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 recognition, but are going into their mission field of their jobs and their homes and their neighborhoods every week to be missionaries where they are, when they are. Pray for them that their work would be fruitful and that the harvest would be brought in. So I would encourage you, I would implore you to pray and prioritize prayer this year. Prioritize going Going immediately as he talks about this harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. He turns around to these 72 that he's commissioning to go and he says, go your way. God is a sending God. He is a missionary-minded God. Missions exist not because we dreamed it up, but because he commissioned us for it. He says, go your way. Wherever you're going to go, whatever that way looks like, go your way. Members of this church and people who are considering membership in this church, I want you to hear this. When you join us, you are not joining a country club or, or a gym. Country clubs and gyms are designed to give you what you want based on what you pay. You're a consumer at those places, getting, coming in and getting what you can and walking home, going home with, with as little, uh, just a transaction, a financial transaction to take place. When you join this church, you are joining a mission team that has been commissioned by God himself to do his work. The beauty is many of you are engaged in that mission. And I am grateful for that. But the reality is many of us are attenders and not participators. We attend an event. We attend a service. We, we attend. But we don't participate. Let me in implore you as you seek to, to, to resolve to make plans for the years ahead, the year ahead. Resolve in your mind to go. To go. For some of you, that means that you need to get up and go somewhere. Not because of location is important as much as the people that are there are important. God doesn't simply call us to a place. He calls us to a people. When you go it may be, maybe it means that one of the trips that's coming up to Africa, you need to sign up and go to Africa on a short-term mission trip. This year, I'm going to be going to France to see if potentially if, if there is, uh, I'm going to Africa now, and I'll be going to France in April. And we're going alongside a, a group of pastors to see if there's potentially a work that can be done, a work that our little church can broaden its horizons on its international work. As we have planted churches in Senegal, can we now plant a church in, in France among the North African Muslim people group that, that have migrated from North Africa and now live in South France? I'll tell you, it's going to be an easier trip than Africa. I'm going to be a little prettier probably too. Countryside there here is amazing. Every place I've ever gone is third world, like developing. You're camping. You don't have running water. You're, you know, is so. This will be the first time I go somewhere that I can't actually drink the water out of the tap. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. If I get, well, I won't go there. Never mind. I'll just keep going. But the reality is, some of you may in the in the days and, and months and years to come, as 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 that as God begins to help us refine and understand, is that something we need to be doing? Some of you need to be preparing today to be partners with us in, in France. Some of you need to be going to Speedway, Indiana, where we support a church planter there who is who is working not just among Americans, but many, many internationals. And so we're doing international work even on our continent. 
Some of you, some of you may need to get up and actually go somewhere and live somewhere else for the sake of Jesus' name. But there's not a person in this room, not, let me say it like this, there's not a member of this church or a Christian that lives in this city that hasn't been called to get up and go to Springfield. The reality is this, and I don't know if you know this, I saw this in a report not long ago. The reality is this. Springfield is the fifth most sinful city in America. And you're, I, I, when I read that, I was like, come on, really? Can that be? I mean, for, for years, we're the fourth, fifth, sixth most biblically-minded city in America, according to one statistic. Can, could it possibly be? Uh, this year, I think we dropped to number 11 on that list. But you go out and look. You can find the link. There's, there's a number of ways that they've measured it. It's, it. It deals with all kinds of things, number, number of ways that they've measured it. And they, what they did was they took the 150 most populous cities in America, and I guess Springfield, surprisingly to me, Springfield fits in that in that. That, that, that number, we're one of the 150 most populous cities in America. They took all of those cities and they applied this broad range of statistics in Springfield, Missouri, of all places, a place where churches are on every corner, people talk about the Bible every time you turn around. A, it ranked as the fifth most sinful city of, of all the cities. Our city needs us going to it. People are broken, and they're hurting, and they're lost, and they're seeking religion. There's Christians claiming to be Christians, and they're lost because they're counting on their good works to save them. It looks great in churches, but it, you go into their homes, and it's broken, and, and, and it's sinful, and it's committed to everything but Jesus. We have been commissioned to go to this city and he commissioned us to go at all cost. As lambs, as going, as lambs being sent out among wolves, regardless of the risk, regardless of what the sacrifices might be, regardless of what danger might come to us, which probably is no danger. We're likely not going to get our head chopped off for preaching the gospel in Springfield, Missouri. The worst we have to look forward to probably is some ridicule, it is the loss of a friendship which probably isn't a real friendship if they hate you because you try to see them saved. It's the loss of a reputation. Now, I want you to hear me. This is not a call to shirk our responsibilities in our job or our homes, but to recognize that our call to go our way is to be goers where we are at all times in all ways. The reality is, is that everyone sitting in this room is a vocational missionary. You just don't realize it. I shouldn't say everyone sitting in this room. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him for life, you have been called to go. And every one of you are paid to do a job. Every one of you that are paid to do a job are not sent there by God to earn a paycheck. You are sent there by God to reach a people. And you just happen to get paid to do it. Every one of us that have children, every one of us that are married, are called to be missionaries in our homes. At all cost. I recognize this in my own family's life when, I, when the boys were small and I made the commitment that I was going to lead them the way Jesus had called me to lead them. I didn't always do that. Wasn't always that guy. But when, I, when he got hold of me, when I saw the beauty of his grace... I wanted only to see them raised in the understanding and knowledge of that grace and the priority of following him no matter what the cost. But I recognized it because I recognized that they were young and they were entering into school and I was, I was teaching them already to begin to follow him and to be Christians in, in culture that doesn't always accept Christians. And in my mind, I was preparing them to go to school and be made fun of and be ridiculed. Because when I was in school, we ridiculed and made fun of Christians for being Christians. If they weren't out drinking with us on the weekend, if they were committed to walking with Christ like Christ, we made fun of them, we teased them, we ridiculed them, we weren't friends with them, we would be nice to their face and tease them behind their back. And in my mind, I knew that's what I was preparing my, my children for. 
But there was no greater priority, no greater purpose. And what this meant was that we, cert- we spent money a certain way because that was the priority. That means there was times that we had to say no to giving them the, something they wanted in order that they could see us give to the church to mobilize the mission. It meant that sometimes, rather than going and having a meal out, we would give money to people in need. It meant that we had to say no at times for them to do things with friends because we knew that it would only put them in the place of temptation. It would only cause greater problem. We had to say no because it wasn't honoring to God and we had to teach them that. We had to tell them the truth about things. We had to talk about the Bible a lot. We had to sit and make everything a lesson. In fact, they used to tease me because when something would happen, I would build a gospel lesson out of it and they would tease me, life lessons by dad. I'm actually proud of that today and I think they are appreciative of it. And here's here's the thing. I can't guarantee this works for everybody because I can't guarantee God is going to save every child of every person in this room. But I can tell you that, that today as I talk to you, I am so thankful that we made these choices to prioritize the mission of God in our home. Rather than prioritizing our children, making them the center of our lives, we showed them that Jesus was. We did that by, by serving every Monday night for years and years. We brought them with us to a nursing home. And we put on a church service for people that were, had Alzheimer's, people who had dementia. Some people were, were, were okay. I mean, they were okay. But it seemed like every time we were there, the people would just be off in their own world. We'd start singing the hymns and, and preaching the scripture. And they would, they would join us. It's like their minds would clear and they would join us. And as soon as we'd done, they'd be talking about some crazy things again. But every week, I, I, I preach for, through the book of Romans. I mean, that's just to, to kind of give you an idea. I, you see how long it's taken me to get through Luke. I, every week, preaching through the book of Romans in this nursing home, and our kids were there. So no, they couldn't be involved in every activity after school because Monday nights were about the nursing home. Sunday morning was about going to church and being a part of God's people and working and serving God's people at his place. So that meant as they grew up to get, to, get, to get jobs, I told them, here's the reality. You need to prioritize the people of God. If this job distracts you from his work, you need to reconsider taking this job. Now, I don't want to make a law that says you can't work on Sunday. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You may need to go take that job to be a missionary in that place for that time. But God will take care of his people. You know, provide us jobs that we can then prioritize his mission. And I have seen them, as a result of that, grow up to be two young men that now serve the Lord by expressing their worship, by leading others to worship. The reality is Cameron, my oldest one, I, 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 as he has stepped into marriage, I see him leading in his home. Now, please know, I'm under no illusion that my children are perfect. You know them. They're, they're in this church. You know them. They are not perfect. But as imperfect as they are, they are striving to be these young men. My oldest son, Cameron, in his marriage, seeks to lead his wife and love his wife like Christ loved the church. And I know it's happening because she talks to me about it, and she talks to me about the lessons that he brings and, and, and the ways that he strives to love her. She tells me, Raider, you'd be so proud of him. Scares me to think the things he remembered of me. But the reality is he learned, and now he's doing it. And right now he's over in Kids Way, serving you and your children, making sure that they hear the gospel message so that these people who need to know the Jesus that's loved them has an opportunity to meet the Jesus that's died for them. My younger son, Tristan, here every Tuesday night or just about every Tuesday night, practicing with the band. And he sat right here this morning, enabling you to worship. He's going to lead worship next week while we're in Africa so that Matt can preach, you see, because he's taken on a role to serve as needs to be served so that God's people can worship him. 
And then every Sunday night, he's here working in the youth. Again, leading many of your children to know the God that has sent his son so that we might be saved. And I can tell you, I can tell you, it makes me proud to think that, oh, they got good grades in school or they're going to do some vocation and and do this thing. I'm, I'm just like every other parent in the room. I'm proud when they do these things. But let me tell you, there's nothing that makes me proud like knowing my children. That my children are serving our Lord. I would give up soccer. I would give up Boy Scouts. I would give up whatever needed to be given up to ensure that that happens. I do not regret one ounce. And I think if you ask them, they don't either. Because the priority of Jesus and going and living his mission matters. No matter what the cost, the reward will always be more. And we, we go, we go with a doing what the things that God has called us to do, that God has given us to do with a sense of urgency. It's also evident in the passage there. We go with a sense of urgency. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack. Don't, don't take time to go home and pack. Don't take, go home to get your possessions to bring with you. Don't even stop and greet people on the road. Get to the place you're headed. This is important. There's no time to waste. Any moment could be the last moment. Who knows when the next opportunity that someone has to hear the gospel and respond is the last opportunity that they will ever have. We have been sent with urgency. And we must go. And we must recognize how vital, how important it is that we go. So we go at all costs. Let me encourage you to prioritize the going at all costs and the sense of urgency that motivates our going. So we pray and we go. And let me encourage you to resolve this year as you look at 2017 to speak and do. He sent these people not just to hang out. He didn't just tell them to go find a place to hang out in the city and become part of the city and, and look around and just look like everybody else. He said, go with purpose to speak my message and do my work. We speak Jesus' words and we do Jesus' work. This is the mission that we have been given. This is the job that we are called to do. Our words are what relays these truths and our deeds Affirm that we believe those ourselves. So we speak Jesus' words. I wrote a note. I'm not much of a journaler, but last year I began journaling in a journaling Bible. And as I was studying and reading this passage, I wrote a note. And it's tied to what he says in verse 16. He says, the one who hears and you, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects me rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And I wrote this note in response, just trying to capture that thought in my mind. I wrote this, if I preach the gospel, I can't be rejected. I can't be rejected. But Jesus can. But if I preach some message of my own, I can be rejected. But Jesus can't. See, there's a reality. There's all kinds of messages floating around out there, even false gospels that people would tell you. You need to be telling these things to people. That's not what God sent us to tell people. The gospel is the proclamation of the coming kingdom, the need, the sinful need of man provided for in the gracious gift of God in his son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place for our sin, that we might be reconciled, that we might be redeemed, that we might be restored, and that one day our God who has saved us by the work of his son is sending his son back to get us, to bring us to be with him forever. That's the essence of the message that God has sent us. And here's the beauty of this message. No matter what age we're in, no matter what circumstance we exist in, no matter whether people are accepting of it or rejecting it, the reality is the message never changes. The message never changes. At every instant, Jesus is telling people to small groups and large groups, to to people who are going to places who are rejecting, to people who are going to places to receive, the message is always the same. 
The response might be different, but the message is always the same. We go doing or speaking Jesus' words, and we do that because that gives people the opportunity to meet the Jesus that we know. If we go to them with our own message and our own self-help ideas or our own plans of evangelization through all other kinds of means, I mean, we evangelize people for all kinds of things. Some of us stump harder for a presidential candidate than we do for Jesus. Some of us have, have expectations or, 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 or products that we're selling that are, we're putting our hope in. Oh, do this, do that. Now your life will be good. Now you'll be happy. There's only one message that, that Jesus gave us to speak, and it's the gospel. When we preach the gospel... If they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one who sent you, and they're rejecting the one who sent him. The beauty of this, the flip side is this. When people receive this message, they aren't just accepting you. They're not just patting you on the back. They're receiving the Christ who gives them life. They are receiving the Christ who sent you and the God, the Father who sent him. So we speak Jesus' words, and we do Jesus' work works of mercy and compassion. The reality is you follow his life through these messages, these gospel records, and you see that everywhere he went, simply because he was there, it was better. Because the common grace of God was on him and flowing through him to people, not that, people that didn't even believe, that weren't ever going to believe. People experienced his mercy and his compassion, and simply because he was there, it was better. I just wonder... As we live our lives and resolve to do what we're going to do this year, are we resolving to do the work of Christ? Our neighbors, it's this neighborhood. Let's just consider this neighborhood where, where our, our home base for missions, this building is located. Is our neighborhood better simply because we're here? Like, would this neighborhood even, and would they notice if we closed our doors tomorrow and shut it down and walked away? I wonder. Is your neighborhood better simply because you're there? Like if you moved out, would there suddenly be an emptiness because the grace of God, the common grace that's just flowing through you was gone? If you quit your job and move somewhere else, would people notice? Would they, would they see the effects of you taking that common grace and that evangelistic voice? Would they see the emptiness that's left, the void that's left because you are no longer there? Let me encourage you this year to resolve to be a people praying, people going, and a people speaking and doing that we will see the mission that God has commissioned us to take accomplished. I'm going to close with a story. It's a story that's rung in my ears for years and years. I heard it first from Dr. Marshall over at Second Baptist Church. And as I prepared last week's message and this week's message, it, man, I just could not get past it. It's a story about John and Mary Gass. I'm going to read it just as, as it was in his, in his message. I had to call him so I wouldn't miss any of the details and get it, anything wrong. John and Mary Gaston were missionaries to China, deeply in love with each other and with Jesus. They studied for years together to learn Mandarin and went to the field. Mary would stay at the mission station while John went out preaching on evangelistic trips. One day, a Christian doctor told John, you can't leave Mary anymore. She's very ill, and she needs your attention. Right there, that'd be enough for any of us, any of us husbands who love our wives to stay home and take care of our wives. And it would be enough for many wives to simply say, yes, I need your help. I need your support. I need you taking care of me right now. I am so sick. But as they discussed it, Mary persisted. John, God will take care of me. He led us here to preach. It's not right for you to stay John reluctantly returned to the circuit. After a while, the doctor gave another warning. You must take her to a warmer climate or she will die. Hoping Mary would recuperate, John hired some Chinese workers and rented a boat and headed down the river to warmer weather. On the journey, Mary, slipping quickly, said, John, 
Aren't you glad we obeyed the Lord and came to China? I'm glad, sweetheart, he said, unable to look at her due to his tears. At a place where a tree was on the bank near the river, many asked to go, or, or I'm sorry, Mary asked to go rest a little while in the shade. They carried her ashore and laid her down. And Mary said, John, I can't go any further. This is it. But listen to me. God brought us here. I want you to promise me you will not go home, but go back and preach to these people. And then she died. The Chinese workers, not wanting to look on death, went over the hill and left John. All he could do, all he could find to dig a grave was, was an oar with no one to prepare the body, to read scripture, say a prayer, or sing a song. John gathered a few wildflowers and placed them on Mary's grave. Then he called the Chinese back over the hill. They started down the river, heading away from the mission station. John stopped them. No. No. Not down the river, but up the river to preach for Christ. You see, John and Mary understood that there was no higher calling, no greater priority, no greater purpose to give our lives to, even when so many other people would quit and call it and say, hey, I'm going home. This man and this woman understood that this is not our home. That our home is in heaven, and until we get there, we have been called and commissioned to live his mission, to do his works, to speak his words, to pray for workers, to join in that, that more people can see the fame and glory of Jesus. All the while, ourselves going, living our lives as worshipfully as possible that others might turn and worship this great God who sent his son as our Savior. So let me plead with you in this year to come to pray, to go, to speak and to do so that Christ will be preached at all cost. Let's pray. Well, Father, we recognize that we are unworthy. Unworthy of the price that you paid for us unworthy of the death of your perfect, righteous Son. But you have seen fit to save us and to give us a new life, to call us into your work. And so I pray, I plead with you, Father, pray that for those sitting in this room that have been made and matured, and it's time for them to mobilize, I pray that you would call them into our service, that they might join us in going. Going wherever we are, going our way, that your name might be praised, that your son might be made much of. Would you lead us into this? Would you stoke our hearts in the fire that burns within them? that this wouldn't be about emotion but it'd be about conviction and that we would resolve within ourselves to give our lives to the very thing that you have called us to give it to all for Jesus' fame I pray these things in his name Amen